0: this is
1: let your voice be heard right here on whcr 90.3 fm the voice of harlem
2: all right guys we are back for another awesome show what up beautiful people what up what up what up this is let your voice be heard on 90.3 fm whcr the voice of harlem was propping
3: how are you stanley how's your week going
2: my week is pretty good i spent most of it in albany so, like, I've been trying to play catch up on all the things that I may or may not have missed.
3: And while you did that, they gutted part of the uh, the police reform bills in the city council. Yes, they,
2: they did. They literally
3: drove a truck loophole so big through it that it's like a truck. And, uh, you know, what's the point of a law if it's got such a big exception to it? I oh, don't know. I
2: got some tea for you when we get off here. I can't share it here, though, because, right. you know, political connects.
3: Um. Anyways, I love your hat, Selena. Yes. Um.
1: um and hope Are you, guys... you okay? Yeah, can you guys hear me? <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> so good morning, guys, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Thank you, um, Alyssa, for the compliment on the hat. It is actually from the Black Santa Company, which Baron Davis co-founded. So shout out to the Black Santa Company and all the Black Santas running around here, guys. Uh, my name is Selena Hill, but on Twitter, Instagram, you can find me at Ms. Selena Hill, and that's a M S. MS. Very happy to be here. Very happy that Stanley's back. Um, because I had to engineer last week, but that's not the case. You did well. Yeah. I
2: listened to the show and I would aggressively disagree. (laughs) But you know, that's just my opinion. With the show? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. She did good.
3: I know. She did very well last week. Anyways, so I'm Alyssa Fuchs, and I am your uh, legal correspondent, um, and you can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs, and that's Alyssa with an I, I-L-Y-S-S-A-F-U-C-H-S, or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, or you can leave a comment on the Politically Preposterous fan page, uh, which is Facebook.com slash Politically Preposterous, or Poll Preposterous on Twitter.
2: Can I tell you, so I'm in I'm in like the, um, like the common area in the studio prepping for the show, <laughs> and Alyssa busts in and she goes, The internet's not working. We're not doing live. And she looked so upset. So I just got up and gave her a hug and we just both started laughing.
3: Aww. <laughs> you know, it's so frustrating.
1: Well,. Anyway, guys, so we have a great show lined up. And if you if this happens to be the first time you're listening to let your voice be heard, you're in for a treat. This is where we took farm policy, social justice and politics from a diverse millennial perspective. And today we're going to talk about all of the black voters, particularly the black women who said no more. Moore, as in Roy Moore in Alabama, and what this can signal for the 2018 midterm elections and the Democratic Party moving forward. So we have a whole show dedicated to Alabama, Roy Moore, and the victory of Doug Jones.
2: And then when we're done talking about Roy Moore and the victory of Doug Jones, we'll talk about Stanley and how handsome and amazing I am. Because I am both those things, guys. And you should always know that.
1: We're probably not going to talk about that. Um, we're we're not gonna do the fake news today. We're actually gonna just stick to the facts here. So hold on, hold
2: on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Fake news. There is yes. nothing fake about me being aggressively attractive. <laughs> By anyway, the way, guys, is always trying to erase me, guys. If you do care about me and how good I look, you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Stan Fritz, on Instagram at Stan Fritz, on Facebook at Stanley Fritz, where I don't think I've started a race war in a couple of months, so I might start one today. Oh, boy. And, of course, on Snapchat, where you got to see me hanging out at a holiday party that Miguel performed at on Friday.
3: What? And I where got was on stage this? With Faith
2: Evans. Mind your business, beloved. All right, guys? <laughs> but you can follow me on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle. What's going on, beautiful people?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so and then last but not least, Alyssa is going to be giving us a refresher quickie on net neutrality.
3: Yeah, that's correct. So you probably heard this week that the FCC has repealed the net neutrality rules. Um, As of right this second, nothing's actually happened yet uh, other than them repealing the rules. But that is likely going to change in the coming weeks and the coming months. Um, And so we're going to give a little refresher about what net neutrality is and how this might affect you. And then we'll open it up to a a conversation uh, with the team uh, to discuss it a little further.
2: And if you want want some more information about net neutrality, you can always check out the article. I wrote from Ogledon that talks about it and what the implications can mean for you and particularly for small businesses who rely on the internet, i.e. let your voice be heard.
1: Absolutely, guys. And of course, if you want to let your voice be heard, feel free to chime in. We are currently on Facebook Live at Let Your Voice Be Heard. So leave your comments there. We'll be taking comments. You can also tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. And if you're brave enough, feel free to call in. The number is 212-
3: Six five zero
1: six nine
3: zero three, um, and we'll just note for those of you that are watching live, if it happens to go down and you're watching the Facebook live stream and it goes off for some reason, um, you can switch over and continue to watch us live uh, or listen live. Either way, through the UStream link, which you will find on our Facebook page. So uh, we hope that we will be live on Facebook the whole time. But if for some reason it goes down, uh, just go to our Facebook page, which is Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio. Click the UStream link, and you will be able to continue to watch and listen to the show
1: absolutely guys so on that note we're gonna go on a quick break but don't go anywhere we have a very special guest who will be calling in from alabama to talk about that senate race that defeated roy moore this is let your voice be heard
0: uber on the my phone is charging he keep
2: calling. I wanna pick it up. We are back, guys. Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHC, Are The Voice of Harlem. What's popping Facebook Live? What's going on, Alyssa? I
3: don't know. You're looking at us, not Facebook Live. Oh, snap.
2: What's popping <laughs> yeah. Facebook Live? Clearly
3: that way. All right. <laughs> not, you not, know what? No.
2: We will not be judging me over here. <laughs> <laughs> Selena, A little bit. You're like Santa's midget helper.
1: What? Anyway, <laughs> I think
3: midget's offensive these days. Oh, crap!
1: You know um, we're in a PC environment, Stanley. And first of all, I'm actually not because I'm not under um five feet.
3: But I think
2: that's called an elf, though. <laughs> like yeah,
1: it
3: so was
2: an called elf? an
1: elf. Uh, yeah, I think. No, el- if you were gonna say something, you should have just called me an elf. Why
2: well, don't I'll find you're an elf?
1: But anyway, all right. <laughs> On that note, bringing it back in, guys, again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Alyssa Fuchs and Stanley Fritz. Jackie Cohen is celebrating Hanukkah today, so she couldn't be with us. Loser. Uh, Pretty pretty much, pretty much. Um,
3: We love you, Jackie.
1: Yes, but only when you're here, obviously. All right, guys, so um, moving things right along, we're starting off the show talking about that defeat, that stunning upset in Alabama where Doug Jones defeated Roy Moore last week in a highly publicized controversial Senate race, marking the first time in 25 years that a Democrat won a seat in Alabama. So Jones beat Moore by nearly 21,000 votes. That translates to a very small margin of 1.5 percentage points. Now Jones's win in an off-election year, uh, it's pretty. It's a really big deal. Do you foresee this being a new awakening in this deeply red state, or is this more of an anomaly?
0: I think that this is going to change a lot of things in Alabama. Um, I believe that Doug Jones will impact the state as well as the country positively. Um, we needed a Senate seat as Democrats as well as we needed him to represent Alabama in a positive light because we've been represented by people who do not share the same views that a lot of us do. Um, And that's why it was time for us to stand up and speak out more. It's time for a change, and I just feel like that Doug Jones is going to be that force for change. And um, it was important to energize a lot of the young people to get out and vote, as well as um, a lot of the older voters because people were tor- torn because of religion. Um, and they felt like that more and more supported them as far as what they believed in and their values. Um, and I think that Doug Jones is definitely going to do positive things. Right.
1: I mean... It- just to play on the hypocrisy there, like I know that Roy Moore definitely stood behind this shield of faith and, you know, quoted the Bible uh, during his campaign many times. But his actions proved otherwise. And it almost baffled me as a Christian, as somebody of faith, how people would take his word but not look at his actions. I mean, even though the Bible says, you know, a fruit, you know, a tree by its fruit. So it's like I don't ever take people by their word. I, I look at their actions.
0: Exactly, and I'm, I'm the same way. I'm a Christian, but I consider myself spiritual, not religious, and I feel that to be a true Christian is to be non-judgmental. nonjudgmental. Um, even he gives us free will, so how can we not give people free will to do what they want to do with their bodies? And so that's why I didn't want him to represent me. That's why I fought so hard on this campaign.
1: And you did a great job. Uh, Jessica, we do have to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation about one Moore. Um, excuse me. Doug Jones we will also ask the question, can he win re election in two years? Uh, Donald Trump says not going to happen. Uh, stay tuned, guys. Let your voice be heard.
2: Y mucho mas.
1: What does that mean in English, nearly That's
2: not important right now, okay? <laughs> we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHC, are The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, I'm here with Selena Hill, and, of course, Alyssa Fuchs. I'm going to call us the Laptop Squad, because all three of us have our laptops out open aggressively. That's how we roll. And if you are just tuning in, guys, we are talking about the Roy Moore-Doug Jones election, Roy Moore's defeat, and we had the amazing guest, Jessica Norman, who was the director of the Get Out to Vote campaign, Um, for that campaign and if you have a question a comment and no curse words you can call us at 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903
3: you can also tweet us at beheard underscore radio or you can uh, watch us live on Facebook uh, where we are broadcasting live on facebook.com slash let your voice be heard radio Selena
1: well really quickly just want to read a comment that we have in on our Facebook live um um they're going to I'm I do not even want to butcher their name
3: looks Like Mr. Beal.
1: Yes, Mr. Beal says, You restore my faith in the young generation. That has to be a shout out to the millennial Alabamans uh, because they came out in droves and voted Doug Jones into office and against a pedophile and racist. Right.
3: I mean, because even though, you know, even though a little bit of white turnout that we saw that swung in favor of Doug Jones was predominantly um, millennials and predominantly millennials that were living in college towns uh, that, you know, went to places like the University. University of Alabama and other schools. So, I mean, really what you're looking at is a coalition of predominantly black voters and then white, uh, sub, you know, educated millennials um, that also swung for the Democrats. But, you know, that is actually a great point for me to jump back in uh, with you, Jessica, which is, as Selena sort of mentioned at the end uh, before we went to the break, wh- is that a lot of people are saying this was a one off because Roy Moore was such a bad candidate um, and, you know, that basically in three years when Doug Jones is up for re-election and there's a more mainstream Republican candidate running for the seat and it's not Roy Moore um, that he's not going to be able to hold the seat. They've also said, you know, look if it was Luther Strange, the person who's currently filling the seat, um, and who was the person who lost the primary to Roy Moore, uh, he likely would have beat Doug Jones uh, in the primary. I don't know if I, I'm sorry, uh, Doug Jones in the general election. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, um, but I am curious your thoughts on whether or not Doug Jones is going to be able to hold this seat in three years? And if so, what is it that you and your organization is going to be doing to make sure that that happens?
0: Um, I do think that Doug Jones can hold the seat. um, And we will do the same thing we did before. But I think what the difference is going to be is what he's going to do with this opportunity in these two years. Um, When people see how he sticks to his word, I think that it will encourage them to
2: vote for him again. That's fair. And, you know, I'm interested to see how Doug Jones governs. I think that so, a Democrat coming from Alabama is going to have to lean conservative on some issues. So it doesn't surprise me that recently he came out and he said that, you know, it would be silly for him not to consider some like working with Republicans or signing off on some Republican bills. That's not surprising to me. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what that looks like as far as like him being a, a senator in the coming months. Jessica? I am as
0: well.
1: Well, you know what? And and I think that, um, I think a lot of people like within the establishment or, or like people consulting him would probably advise him to uh, be a little bit more moderate, uh, et cetera. But I feel like, you know, opposite, I feel like he will have a better chance holding this seat if he continues to uphold progressive policies and rhetoric and he sides with liberals. I mean, those, these are the people that voted him in that made their voices heard and elected him. So honestly, I would love to see Doug Jones just come down on the not the hard radical left, but more uh, more left than center. So we'll have to see on that note. But um, Jessica, I do want to thank you so much for calling into our show and giving us your insight and perspective, as well as all the work you did to elect Doug Jones, please let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you and to continue to support um, his, his seat, his sen- um, support him as senator.
0: Um, you can get in contact with me by Jessica Norman on Facebook um, and, um, or either email, which is jnorman.com. At outlook.com.
1: Thank you again, guys. That was Jessica Norman. She was one of the people in charge at the Get Out the Vote uh, campaign for Doug Jones. We can thank her as a black woman for getting so many other people out. Uh, and I do wanted to just open up this discussion to the panel and to you guys, of course, if you're listening and you want to call in at 212 650 6903, feel free. So, with this race, uh, with with the victory that we've seen from this race, is this a sign that the DNC should invest in more elections that don't initially seem winnable? Again, let's remember, a Democrat has not won this seat in over two decades.
3: I mean, I would say yes, um With sort of a little bit of a caveat We have to remember that this was a Senate seat So gerrymandering was not playing any role In this election Because of the fact that gerrymandering Only plays a role when we're talking about House seats So I do think that Democrats Should do a better job of competing For seats that may not Necessarily have been winnable in the past But I do also think we need to keep in mind That while that may be true For Senate seats, it's a lot more difficult that When it comes to House seats And I think sort of the contrast you can see Between uh, this election and another special election that just happened recently in a place where it was traditionally a Republican seat, is the John Ossoff race in Georgia. Um, In that, in the John Ossoff race, there was, you know, still pretty high black turnout, although not as high as we saw in Alabama. Um, But a big thing that was at play in the John Ossoff race was gerrymandering, and I know we're going to talk more about that and in the bigger picture sense during the second segment later on today. Um, But I do think that in response to your question, Selena, I do think the Democrats should compete in more elections, but I also think they really need to also focus some of that money and those efforts into, um, you know, ending gerrymandering and, uh, you know, making sure the census is done right and some of those other big things that we are going to talk about during the second segment, because if not, then you're sort of just at least in a House race, throwing money into an election that is very hard to win, not just because of the the demographics, but because the way, way the lines are drawn. Um, and so I don't think it's smart for the Democrats necessarily to waste money in a place where the lines are drawn in such a way where no matter what happens, they are just not going to win that seat. I mean, some of these places, Democrats can get twice as many votes as Republicans and still cannot win that seat. That's just a mathematical equation. And I don't know if we should necessarily compete in those ones, but especially in Senate races where that is not at play. Absolutely.
2: I want to push back just slightly. I think right now in this movement moment, you need to run a strong candidate for every single race and put money into it. Why? Because the DNC is flush with money. People are giving money to the DNC, DCC, DCCC, XBMD. They're giving all these groups money. They have money to run people and we have run for some things and and all these things. So run and put money behind them. I think a big piece that John also phrased is that, that everyone talks about or doesn't want to talk about is that he did not do a good job courting black voters in Georgia. Right. You know and they talked about it because and I have a couple of friends in the ground out there and they talked about how a week before the election they were finally were putting money into the community and trying to get people to turn out. That's not going to work. You have to have an infrastructure built so that, so that it can be successful. That's, par- that's part of why Alabama was successful And this time it's supporting Doug Jones. So I do think, at least for this movement moment, you absolutely have to compete in every single race because you've never had a president this unpopular, this visceral, and who's lost support from every single demographic except for white people. Republicans did that when Obama was president. And look at how much coverage they made. And especially because there's a chance to recut the districts. You want to make sure you you have every chance you get, you can possibly get to take power again.
1: Right. And I think that what this race does, it definitely gives us a sign of hope. And it shows the that it shows the Democratic Party that people of color, Americans of color will come out and vote if you give them a reason. And it can't just be we're voting against somebody because that's what happened with Hillary Clinton. And you didn't see that same type of mobilization from um, young people and and people of color. But when you have a candidate who's like, I've been advocating, you know, on your side for social justice issues and the other issues that are, are very important to you and your community, then you see us coming out and showing support. And I think that if we have more candidates who would probably be perceived as radical, but... In, in in like essence, all they're doing is trying to dismantle white supremacy and like systematic racism uh, through their work like Doug Jones did when he prosecuted KKK terrorists. Um, I, I think that something like that would be very helpful. And it's a shift that I think the Democratic Party should take. Are they willing? I'm not sure.
2: There's also another piece you have to think about in relation to Doug Jones. It wasn't just that he didn't just go around for weeks saying, oh, well, you know, I put those 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 um KKK members from Alabama in prison he was also talking about actual local issues. One of the big pieces of his campaign was the hospital closures that were happening in Alabama. And he was really talking about that and promising to have a voice in that and to put a stop to that. Those are the issues that people really stuck to because the Alabama Four Little Girls case, that was important, but that was only kind of like a okay, great, but what about my values? And Alabama, you know, is a very conservative state, and not just from Republicans, but even from the Democrats, it's socially conservative. And they do have some issues you had to spotlight to cut through that. And he did.
3: Right. I mean, listen, the hospital closures is a great example because if you look at just generally speaking, candidates and their platforms, one of the big winners have been has been candidates that have run on the platform of expanding Medicaid, right? You saw this in Louisiana in 2016 with Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards um, he Louisiana, a very, very red state, elected a Democrat, you know, a moderate centrist Democrat, but a Democrat nonetheless in 2016 and his biggest platform was expansion of Medicaid. And you look at Virginia um, and the Ralph Northam win and, you know, there was a big talk about health care. So health care was one of the most important issues that people came out and voted for in the 2017 special elections and even in the 2016 special elections that occurred before then. And So, again, that sort of goes back to what Selena was saying. Yes, you have to drive turnout, but you have to drive turnout through telling people what you are going to do for them, not necessarily just running against Donald Trump. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's what voters want to know. How are you going to help me? And if you can't give them a solid platform and say, you know, we're going to uh, provide better health care and do criminal justice reform and, you know, all these other things, then just basically saying Roy Moore is a bad guy or Donald Trump is a bad guy is not going to cut it and uh, it's especially not going to cut it with the few little bit of white voters you do want and maybe need to cross over to join those black voters
1: absolutely and speaking of donald trump i want to know your take on will does this um victory signal the beginning of the end of trumpism in america what do you think
2: no so well, let, let me let me say that it, it may represent a scaling back. But as long as there is racism in America and as long as white people keep supporting these racists, Trumpism will never go away because what we have to understand and people listening have to understand this is not Trumpism. This is Republicanism. This is conservatism. All Trump is is an exclamation point at the end of a very long racist, xenophobic, homophobic nativist sentence.
3: No, absolutely. You know, there was a really good article. It was an op ed article and uh, in the New York Times this week. And it was like about the Republican Party in four acts Um, and it was basically comparing and contrasting what happened from the time that Donald Trump announced his candidacy uh, back in 2015 up until now in terms of uh, you know different uh, Shakespeare plays and so you know it says like act one opens with you know Donald Trump coming down the gilded golden elevator and announcing his candidacy and then you know it goes into like act two and act three with the Republican Party adopting his platform Um, and Paul Ryan being like, well, who are we with now? And he's like, well, we're with Trump. We chose that, you know, the last time. And so you're absolutely right in terms of that. And, you know, just that's a great article. People should go read it. I really enjoyed it. But, um, The Republican Party has co-opted the Trumpism. They decided long ago, uh, not that long ago, but long ago back, you know, in the first throes of the candidacy um, after Jeb Bush exited and after Marco Rubio dropped out and all those so-called moderates uh, that they were going to go the route of Trump. And now it's like you you broke it then you buy it you know and you own it now uh so republicans now yes i the way i look at it if democrats want to win they need to do several things one of them is drive black turnout um like stanley says Number two, being what I said, tell voters what they're going to do for them. Um, And number three, continue to stick the entire Republican Party to Trump and continue to stick Trump to people like Roy Moore Um, and to never let people forget that Donald Trump supported Roy Moore and that the Republican Party supported supported Donald Trump. So, you know, to me, it's like it can't be just one uh, of those things. It has to be all three of those things.
1: Absolutely, guys. And I want to get your predictions on will Doug Jones faced an uphill battle for re-election in 2020. Can he win?
2: Yes, he will face an uphill battle. He probably will lose. This, I, I, I'm not confident that this is a change in Alabama politics. He won by a percent and a half. 68% of white people still voted for the child molester. Right. Because, alleged sorry Alyssa. Bec- and the reason they did that is because they value, quote, quote unquote, conservative values, and they value what Roy Moore means for Alabama and that whiteness, and that those good old white values, they value that way more than they actually do their, their claim principles. I
3: don't like to use conservative values because I don't. those are not conservative values. No, no, those like, are, as you said, white va- ma- yes. well, or white racist values, right. you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're not conservative values. Conservatives are about small government, or at least they used to be. And now I don't even know anymore. Um, but, you know, just to get back to your question, uh, can D- Doug Jones win? I don't know. I want to say... Maybe. Um, I want to say I don't want to count them out. Uh, It really largely depends on who Republicans run. If, you know, for all we know, Roy Moore tries to run again because that's what Roy Moore does. You know, he doesn't care about what the establishment tells him uh, because the establishment told him not to primary Luther Strange and he did it anyway.
2: But that's the thing about Alabama, though, Alyssa. Up until this election, and I'm sorry for cutting you off, the, the, the saying was you could run a bag of dog crap in Alabama and as long as you put it on a Republican line, they would win and by 30 points.
3: Right, but people are paying attention now and it's not just in Alabama. People are paying attention on a general whole. Like, you know, not for nothing, black people are not stupid and obviously as you know because you're both black they hear what people say they hear them say things like you know people were better off during slavery times and we should get rid of the 10th amendment and even on things that are not that explicit and are more like underhanded dog whistle type things and guess what you know now we've reached this breaking point people are not going to stand for that anymore and you know what to a certain extent white people that are involved in social justice that are you know more liberal or even in some cases libertarian um, are not going to put up with that kind of stuff either anymore either and they're not going to be complicit um and you know what maybe it's not going to be all of them maybe there's still going to be 80 percent of racist white people that are complicit in that and continue to go out and vote but this handful of white people that are no longer going to be complicit they are going to join the overwhelming black vote that is going to go out and vote these candidates out of office and if you have that confluence of things then i think that there is a good possibility that he could win re-election but it is going to be hard
1: yeah and i would just add to that um Another thing that black people aren't going to vote for, like, I don't think black people like voting for the lesser of two evils like that's been proven and shown like they need somebody that they believe in that we feel like we can trust to a certain degree and who's going to advocate for the issues that we care about, whether that be social justice, the economy, job creation, et cetera. So we need someone like that. And I do want to just close this segment out by saying that Doug Jones won because there was a very large turnout. 40%, a 40% turnout and the black turnout was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. Basically. Thank you. I broke down the word. But I think that this is an example of the power we have when we unite and we make our voices heard at the polls. We stopped a child molester, an alleged sexual predator, and kept him out of Congress, out of uh, Washington, D.C., and out of continuing to push the Trump agenda. So I think we can keep this momentum going into 2018, and I think that Democrats need to take a hard look into how they can court people of color and keep this momentum going, especially among us and especially amongst other millennials. I also think that this election demonstrates that black voters, especially black women, are the heart and soul of the Democratic Party. We are the ones who saved this state and this country from someone who was an extreme radical and who was basically a hate monger. And I feel like now it's up to um, us to not only thank black women, but to support them in a variety of ways. How? Hire black women hire them to your jobs and once we're there give us the equal pay that we deserve another thing elect us to office support our campaigns and our candidacies and believe us on top of that donate to non-for-profits that empower black girls and black women and another thing you can do is stick up for black women black women are are one rock women are one of the most mar- marginalized groups in this country. We feel sexual harassment, job loss, death, crime, we feel this stuff the most. And it impacts us and our communities the most. So whether whatever issue that's going on, stick up for us and make sure that you give us a seat at the table. And if you're not a black woman or a black person, amplify our voices. Don't try to overshadow it or think or talk for us. Just give us that space to let our voices be heard. Damn. On that note, we do have to take another quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about some of the stories of the week that we hated and we love, like Omarosa leaving the White House. And then Stanley's going to take lead on another segment about politics in America and what this, what lessons we learned from the Alabama Senate race. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Ashes
3: blowing in the air. I was on fire.
2: Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and of course the immaculate Selena Hill, and we are talking about the Alabama Senate race that just passed by, where Doug Jones beat a guy that thinks that America was great when we had slavery, and has been known to sign yearbooks of high schoolers when he's in his thirties, and also attempt to date high school girls, allegedly. See Alyssa, I do know how to say allegedly. But anyways, guys, we are back and we are taking a break from that conversation to go over the news
1: not yet because we did get a comment really quickly that came in on twitter i just want to read and acknowledge so rag er at er rag says hi um be her radio did she talk about registration and voting of folks who were currently or formerly incarcerated i read about that basically this comment is referring to the previous conversation we had about how uh organizers on the ground in alabama did everything to mobilize uh, people to get out and vote, including people who are formerly incarcerated. They put a lot of resources and energy in getting those people the right to vote. And that also helped uh, Doug Jones uh, come into victory. So thank you so much for the comments. Keep those tweets coming at be heard underscore radio. I just
3: want to jump in there real quick on that comment, because, um, you know, in many states, it is not legal for formerly incarcerated people that were convicted of felonies to vote. Uh, No, in New York it is actually. Yeah, you have to get a certificate of relief from civil disabilities. 40,000
2: people on parole right now can't vote. Not
3: on parole. I'm talking about finish their sentences. That's correct. You cannot vote when you're on parole because when you're on parole, you're still technically in prison, even though you're not technically in prison. I'm talking about people who have completed their sentences who just have a felony. Um, And so those people are banned from voting in many, many other states completely. They cannot have their voting rights restored once they complete parole. Um, And so that is a big issue that we need to continue to work on Um, Um, In those states, because obviously uh, people who have been formerly as incarcerated are very good when it comes to turning out to vote because they realize that they can now get involved in helping to change the system.
1: Right. And on that note, it's time to kick off the news roundup again. This is a time where you and I speaking to you guys listening out there talk about some of our favorite stories of the week, the ones we loved and the ones we hated. As I teased before we went on break, Omarosa has allegedly resigned. I say allegedly because there is a lot of hearsay on Capitol Hill uh, about the fact nah, that nah, she was
3: nah,
1: <laughs> she was forced nah, out.
3: I heard she got fired nah, on her day off. How hey. you get fired on your day off? Good that happened to my
1: aunt one time. That's so. like a
3: movie I once saw <laughs> called Friday. My
1: aunt got fired on her day off as well. How
2: would she get fired on her day off? Oh, oh my god. Wait. Is your aunt Omarosa? Stanley
3: yeah. was posting about this on his Facebook and I went and read the comments and like every single one of them was like a gif from the movie Friday. So I had to add in and th- Throwing in a Friday GIF too. What she's Bye, talking Felicia. about
2: is Omarosa <laughs> wants to be reinstated into the black delegation. What is your vote?
1: Bye, Felicia. Correct. So, basically, black women have been ecstatic about uh, Omarosa She's resigning her... or, or, or leaving, however you want to call it. Like, Robin Givers um, even said, bye, Felicia, on ABC. Like, good morning, <laughs> America. Um, Angela Rye cracked up, laughed at, like, cracking up and laughing at her on CNN. So, people have definitely been rejoicing. Even Sunny from um, The View was like, she does not represent us. She's uh, what Stanley calls an Auntie Tom. Mm-hmm. And she, she's someone that, like, I feel like we can't trust her.
2: Let me tell you, if you're a black person, you voted for Trump, or you supported Trump, don't come calling back here to me now. You better stay over there with the whites. Do what you got to <laughs> do. And as far as Omarosa, who is trash and corny and a loser and a lame and has only been successful in being on reality TV, you deserve this. You know what they said? After she got fired, she tried to sneak into the residential area of the White House to and, beg tri- Trump. and tripped <laughs> off an alarm. And to, to beg Trump for her job. And then she went on Good Morning America and was like, you know, I just felt like there were some things that happened there that would have upset my community. When she said my community, I was like, excuse me? Whose community?
1: Be like
3: Rachel Dozell is more
1: black than you. Yeah. Can we trade? <laughs> but no, here's a question I have. That That's a serious question. So- Another thing that she talked about after she resigned is the lack of diversity in the White House and the fact that there's going to be even less diversity. She was the only black woman senior aide to Donald Trump. So now you have no representation in the White House.
2: Is, well, this, Selena, something? I'm sorry.
1: is this something we should be applauding?
2: Selena, it was her job to bring diversity to the White House. <laughs> she was blocking the other Uncle Toms from joining. They even went on CNN and said that. Listen, like... This, she, who cares? First of all, who cares? Any black person who works for a white supremacist and is mad about diversity is just as dumb as I thought they were.
3: I mean, that's what I was just about to say. She finally figuring it out that she's literally working for a whole bunch of people that are white supremacists. And the only reason they were keeping around her the, in the first place is so that she could be their token black person so they could say, look, we're diverse because amorosis here.
2: Yeah, come on. Like, that's BS, man. I'm glad she's unemployed. You go wherever Stacey Dash is and stay in that <laughs> sunken place.
1: And we need to trade off for Rachel Dozell. I'll
2: take Rachel Dozell and a bag of Henny. I was going <laughs> to say something else. But I don't know if it's legal in Well, no you
3: know, I was going to get Stanley the Rachel Dozell calendar, and he told yeah. me that he would not be friends yeah, we, ha- we would have to square up. <laughs> we would have to have to have beef. I thought you supported
2: her. No. I mean, like, it was funny at first. It was kind of offensive. So, no.
3: Um, but anyway, speaking of things that are offensive, uh, in the, uh, you know, continued uh, let's act like authoritarian country that we are now living in, the Department of Health and Human and Services, uh, you know, has now told the Center for Disease Control and Prevention that they are barred from using the following seven words or phrases. Um, science-based. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fetus. Transgender. Vulnerable. And there's a few other ones. I can't um, breathe. You know, I remember this time where the seven dirty words that were banned are words that I still cannot say on this radio right now because of the FCC. It's George Carlin, seven dirty words. Mm-hmm. I will not say them. I will direct you to the Internet to find them on your own. Um They include words that cannot be said on the radio. But now we apparently are also banning the words, uh, you know, science-based and vulnerable. But I don't get it. Who's banning this? Diversity. The Trump administration.
1: Diversity? Yeah, you're not allowed to
3: say the word diversity anymore over at the CDC. Or or, or evidence-based. Evidence-based.
2: Listen, since we're not worried about evidence anymore, I just want to say it seems like the, the people who are making these laws also happen to be white, which tells me white people are sensitive to words like diversity.
1: I mean duh I mean that's like I didn't a, even know they could do something like this And they say that we're the snowflakes I mean, no, this you is. You know, if you're getting ridiculous.
3: triggered by the word diversity, that seems like you really have the problem, not us. White
2: supremacy is deep when, yeah, like you feel the need to ban the word diversity, but can we switch gears just a little bit? Or Wait, did you? Well, sorry. Yeah,
3: no, no. Before we do, I mean, I just wanted to say, I think it's bigger than just white supremacy, at least on this do issue, uh, on this issue, because these are, it's not just the word diversity. It's the word fetus. It's the word transgender. It's the word, you know, science based or evidence based. So this is really what you really see is an authoritarian attack, um, you know, that, Normally, dictators start banning words, banning phrases, banning books. I mean, I think it, it, it. Yes, white supremacy absolutely plays a role. But when you're banning words like science-based or evidence-based, it is going farther than just white supremacy. Here
2: is the part that I think we diverge on just a little bit, and I feel like with a couple of glasses of whiskey, I can get you on my side. You, you feel like you, you say, and I agree that white supremacy is a part of it. I say white supremacy is the root of it. Okay. So, like, that's, that's, that's the only part, part I see we kind of, like, go in, like, separate angles. But I think we would agree if we had a chance to flesh it out and not on air because we have to talk about stuff. And Selena gets panicky. But, guys, I do have a new story. We got beef.
1: Oh, yes. Please talk about this.
2: So, Cornell West... Just put out a piece in The Guardian about Tanahasi Coates where he says he is a neoliberal bastion for black liberation. And he claims that Tanahasi has all these ideas about black liberation, but has no action in it. And he does not fight for Wall Street Reform and that he fight he cares about white acceptance. It's a pretty interesting piece that I read this morning. I sent it to a listener to read as well.
3: I have not read it yet. Um,
2: but I have a lot of feelings about this. Selena no, just share just, your feelings. Just well, you you had you were making faces, so I do not know if you want to say something. No, like faces like you look disgusted. So this is what I'll say about Cornell West and this piece. I read the piece and you guys should read it. He's so he uses Tanahasi's latest book, We Were Eight Years in Power, to criticize um Tanahasi. And I'm assuming this happened because first he criticized Tanahasi publicly for the title of the book, We Were Eight Years in Power. But if he would have read the first page of the book, he would have understood that, that was like he was it was tongue-in-cheek. So, when he criticized right. him, Tanahasi said, You didn't read the book because if you did, you would get that was the point. So now he's expanded on this and like he's cherry picked pieces of his book to paint Tanahasi in a certain way, which I think is inaccurate.
1: Well, you know what? I see the Twitter beef going on right now. I haven't had a chance to delve into this, but a number of things that I've been observing is a lot of people saying, First of all, we have a white supremacist in power right now, and there are a number of things that are going wrong. Why is Cornel West, a prominent black activist and advocate and intellect, why is he criticizing Tanahasi Coach about being basically a pessimist? We have bigger things that we should be focusing on and that we should be uni- unifying around. So that, that's what I'm reading on Twitter right now. But, yeah, it definitely looks like a very interesting piece. Um. It's called. The title of the piece is "Tanaji Coates is the neoliberal face of the Black freedom struggle" by Cornel West. So that says a lot, right there. I mean,
3: listen, I haven't read the Cornel West piece yet. I will read it when we get off the air. Um, I will say, you know, I've read numerous uh, books by Cornel West. I've also read uh, Tanashi Coates. Um, Uh, The book before that, uh, the book he wrote to his son, um, that the name of the book is escaping me. I have not read the new book yet. Um, But, you know, at this, you know, listen, I I think we should if people have legitimate criticisms, um, even constructive criticisms of other liberals about their work, um, then we should voice them. But at the same time, we have to be careful not to start to throw, you know, our friends and you know cohorts under the bus because we might slightly disagree with them about something because like you said we're like fighting against white supremacy in the White House in the country with like every single Republican there is and we're not doing ourselves justice and we're going to constantly be throwing you know ourselves under the bus also because if like our own infighting continues then like that is not going to be helpful in us combating the white supremacy that we're trying to combat.
2: Alyssa, that's a really good point. There seems to be this this continuing battle in the liberal, progressive circles, and even in the Black Liberation Front, where we eat each other. Yeah. And like, because there's always these battles about who's woken up or who's not woken up. And Cornel West has had issues with Barack Obama since Obama didn't get him extra tickets to the to the inauguration. No, he
3: had legitimate issues no, 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 with Barack Obama about me, the drones, let me, but let me,
2: but like this, but he had he publicly parted from Obama then, and then the drones became an issue, and then he had legitimate issues with that. But um, like it's it's no, it's true. Like you can right.
1: No, no, no. I'm familiar.
2: But um, so like, which is why like I tend to take like West like criticism of obama with, with like a tinge of salt because he always when he even when he has a point he pushes it with something that's inflammatory and a little disrespectful right so now that like Tanahashi seems to be someone who thinks fondly of obama he seems to be doing the same thing and i have a snippet from the piece that i want to read to you guys that like it was at that point where i was like okay this is weird now he goes unfortunately Coates, allegiance to obama has produced an impoverished understanding of black history he reveal he reveals this one. He writes, "Ossie Davis famously eulogized Malcolm X as our living black manhood and our own black shining prince. Only one man today could bear those twin heart fix, Barack Obama. And then he goes on to say, Colt P- Colt's praises Obama pardon me. Um this gross misunderstanding of who Malcolm X was, the greatest prophetic voice against American Empire, and who Barack Obama is, the first black head of American Empire, speaks volumes about Colts' neoliberal view of the world. But he was so if you read the book, which I, which I have, he wasn't comparing Obama to Malcolm X. He was comparing the way that black America viewed Malcolm X to the way they view Obama as like this great leader, the best of us. And like he's kind of discombobulating it. And then he says that Tanahasi is like desperate for white acceptance. And he uses a piece in which Tanahasi says, You know, when I saw Obama running and I saw the way that white people accepted him, I thought maybe that could be me. In the very next sentence, he goes, that was a moment of like immaturity, and like I know that I was wrong, and I do not look for this acceptance anymore. But, but Wes takes that first part to say to make a scene that Tanahasi is like desperate for white people to love him, which is problematic because you're misinterpreting his language.
1: Well, Stanley, I definitely appreciate that analytical breakdown that you just gave as someone who has read, um, both uh, read both pieces by like author by them. Yeah,
2: I've read and, all the Tanahasi's books, and I've right. read, I've read two of. Cornel West's books and his piece right
1: well and I will say like so this point Cornel West has raised great criticisms as somebody on the left and as a strong progressive voice but I also I tend to second guess a lot of things he says because it does seem like a crab in the barrel type of mentality where he pulls down different black prominent speakers which also included Michael Eric Dyson and uh, of course and and and, Harris Perry right and 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 of course Barack Obama so it's like I it's I respect him and I love Cornell West, but it's like you really do have to make sure you understand the context before you take anything with a grain of salt that he says. I mean, it
3: comes down to this: there are certain group, and it's not just Cornell West, of people that have this litmus test that, like, you know, every single liberal that runs for office or that is a prominent figure um, has to check every single box, you know, and they have to be in favor of this and against this and in favor of this and against this and you know, and and down the line, and if for some reason, um, you know, there is a slight disagreement where the person doesn't necessarily check that box for one reason or another, um, whether it's because of the actual realities of the office in the case of Barack Obama, or if it's because that this person may have a legitimate disagreement in how we should go about achieving a certain result, then automatically they are you know, vilified by the left and by people like Cornel West who are like, well, you know, you don't meet my stringent litmus test because you can't check every single one of these boxes. And so therefore I'm going to trash you and make it out like you are the trash person, even though you check nine nine out of ten of the boxes that I think you should check. I mean, this is sort of what happened in 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 the Hillary Clinton election too, yeah.
2: right? Yeah, I just want to cut Selena off real quick just to mention something a good friend of mine said, and I can't say who it is because it was a group chat conversation. But he's like, we got to get to a space where like we're able to have com- critical conversations and like push each other without being disrespectful. And this is someone that was on Cornell's side for a lot of the article, but just felt that like he was being like very cl- like he he was like. Inkling towards some disrespect at Tanahasi as he has done with Obama, Melissa Harris Perry, and um um I forgot the other one. Um so I'll just stop talking now.
1: Michael Eric Dyson. No, um great point there, guys. I do wanna move on a bit. I just got an alert from BuzzFeed thirty-four minutes ago saying that Doug Jones says the country should, and I quote, move on, end quote, from sexual harassment allegations against Trump and focus on, quote, real issues, end quote. Now, I haven't had a chance to read the context of that, but, I mean, we just finished a conversation about Doug Jones, and we talked about how is he going to lean? Is he going to be more moderate, or is he going to be more left? Uh, Stanley?
2: I'm not surprised by this. And really? I, yeah, Doug Jones is a white man from Alabama. He's not going to be a radical progressive like us. I 100% disagree with him on this one, and I think that sexual harassment, that is a real issue. Women dealing with harassment and assault from the President of the United States or anyone else is a real issue, and we cannot dismiss this. He has said his piece and in Alabama that is appropriate, I guess, but no, as far as him being a dem, vote the way we tell you to vote, and that's it.
3: Right, I mean, listen, it, it it's a hard thing because... I agree with you. Like, we shouldn't ignore the sexual harassment allegations against uh, President Trump. We shouldn't. Um, At the same time, though, what's going to affect your life more? Is it whether or not Trump has sexual harassment allegations or is it whether or not he signs the tax bill?
1: i mean that's a great point Alyssa. and maybe doug jones is just saying let's get refocused to stop this legislation that's going to hurt decades of americans
2: well you know what we wouldn't have to have this conversation if people would have listened to trump's accusers in the first place and that's the bigger issue and i don't think that you were trying to say it wasn't Alyssa. no, 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 no i'm clear. not yeah I'm but, just... like we need to listen to women we do not listen to women we never listen to women we didn't listen to hillary we didn't listen to the women that, that that said Trump assaulted them. We don't. And we always suffer drastic consequences. So to try to, and I, I don't know if that's what he was trying to do, but to put it off as just like a side issue that's not as important as, I don't know, tax reform is a joke because it's just as serious. Because you know who's going to get hurt the hardest from this tax bill besides people of color? Women. Right. And we're not going to listen to them because we have a culture of ignoring them.
1: Well, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Sexual harassment is definitely an epidemic, especially uh, in America, around the world actually, but I want to say SNL... Did a really good job at tackling the issues of sexual harassment um, last week. And it was from a very unique angle. So they did this whole skit of featuring James Franco, in which there were two uh, guys who were accused of sexually harassing the women there. James Franco and this elder black man played by Keenan. And basically in the skit, scared. you had James Franco who was like very PC and apologizing. He's like, you know, I'm so sorry to you women. I shouldn't have commented about on your dress, I shouldn't have commented on your appearance. I shouldn't have told you to smile more. And they were like, yeah, you shouldn't. That's why you're getting fired. And then you have Keenan, who's playing like this like elder black character. And he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have grinded up on you. I shouldn't have said shake that thing. Like he was just being like extra about it. And all the women were like, oh my God, we love you, Charlie. You don't need to be fired. And basically what they were trying to portray there is that sexual harassment could and might be subjective. It could be biased. It depends on the woman. It depends on how the woman interprets it and takes it. Because in this skit, you had the women saying, basically, he's an elder black man. He's not really a threat. And you had them saying, like, this older, like, more physically fit white man was.
2: I think there's also the racial politics that go into play with them And it was, well. it was
1: racial too, but I've been having these conversations, guys, and I'll be the first one to say that even... Like I've I've seen it myself. Like I've seen certain men, even like on the job, say certain things to me, and I literally didn't think twice about it and didn't take it as a threat. Mm-hmm. That same man got reported, and I and by another woman at my job who was mm-hmm. like, "No, no, no, this is inappropriate." Now I believe I know he did it, yeah. and I believe her, but would I have cast that as inappropriate? No.
2: So I think I, I agree with you when the piece. Say- Certain aspects of sexual harassment and assault can be subjective. You know you can make a complaint for sexual harassment if all three of us work together, right? We all go out for drinks. Marilyn comes by. I'm having a, I, me and Marilyn start kissing. Alyssa can file sexual harassment for us kissing because she didn't feel comfortable, even feels outside of the workplace. And that is a valid case. So yes, it can be subjective, but there are some things that are just non-starters.
3: Right. No, I agree. I, I Listen, you know, it, it is, it's a hard situation because on one level, it's like if a woman comes out and says she was raped, then it's like, you know, obvi- it's obvious. It's that black and white obvious. But there's so many scenarios that don't fall into that black and white obvious. Like, you know, we were having a conversation the other day at my job about if um, if a woman dates the boss like legitimately dates the boss um, or her supervisor um, you know some people will say that's never okay because of the power dynamic like he's the supervisor he's the boss and other people will say like you know listen if they're hanging out after work and they're working late and she's like you know she starts to fall for him and he starts to fall for her then like you know it's just an office romance and it's okay um, even like the though, Obama's you know like even though she or he is the supervisor because you know and other people will say, no, 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 you can never date somebody who's your supervisor because yeah. of the power dynamics. So, you know, it's a hard conversation and it's not black and white, It you know. And so we I, I think the most important thing is to continue to have these conversations, um,
2: you know. No,
1: I was just wanting to point really out point, that's how. Say. That's how the Obamas fell in love. Yeah,
2: she was the supervisor.
1: Michelle Obama was supervising Barack Obama. They dated, and now look, we had, you know. Yeah,
2: it, it really is based on a person and their ability to be mature, but I think the safest thing is just not to do it. Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. But, like, I agree with you, Alyssa. It's complicated. It is. And you ha- you can ha- people are people, and you can't help who you like sometimes. But the way you behave, because I've known places where people have worked together and someone was supervising somebody, and they liked each other, and they started dating, and they signed an HR form, and they no longer supervise the person who right. no supervising and you do that and they break up and they keep it professional. What is your ability to be professional? And it seems like in a lot of these cases, a lot of the men do not have the ability to remain professional even after being rejected.
1: Right. And I mean, this doesn't take away from the epidemic at all or this Me Too moment moment, which has basically turned into a movement where we see a slew of powerful men in these high power positions uh, losing their jobs. And also you see their uh, legacies being tainted. Russell Simmons is one of them. He's under an NYPD special units investigation because he has allegedly raped three to five women. Uh, Some of them were in New York City. So like, no, I I get it. It's complicated. It's nuanced, just like people. And this is the thing that I've been conflicted over. Bad people sometimes do good things, just like good people sometimes do bad things. It's the world we live in, but it does not justify what is wrong, and we can't take away from all the right that they do as well. So it's a hard one. On that note, we do have to go on another quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue the discussion about Alabama politics and the Democratic Party right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard.
2: And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Alyssa Fuchs in the course, the wonderful Selena Hill and her black Santa Claus Scully cap. Where is mine at, Selena?
1: Um, you don't get You see, one. she did not give me a Scully <laughs> cap because she does
2: not think that Stanley's Scully game matters. You know what? I do. It was a Guys, gift. Well, where's my gift? If you're just tuning in, we had a great conversation in the first half of the show talking about Roy Moore versus Doug Jones and the role that the black vote played in getting Doug Jones that seat, even though 48% of white people and other voters in Alabama voted for Roy Moore. And then we went to the news roundup where we talked about Tanahasi coats and um cornell west's beefs and how that kind of implications that means for black um political activists and so on and so forth but before we move on to the next part of this segment i do want to thank the people who commented on facebook live so mercedes um ariana gregory thank you for listening thank you for commenting we see you we appreciate it keep those comments and those things coming and if you're listening on a podcast just hit us up on twitter and we'll get back to you throughout the week so now guys absolutely did you have something to say
1: I just saw this news. Wanted to say it really quickly. Uh Chris Matthews um, also uh, had some sexual harassment claims, so I hope he's not the next one to go down. Damn, hold on. Yep, Chris Matthews, guys from MSNBC. Yeah. That doesn't mean
2: anything, as we can see.
1: It's going down. Another progressive going down. Guys,
2: just real quick. Alyssa is fixing our Facebook Live camera, so that's why she sounds far away. She will be back at the mic to bless us with all of her knowledge. Her encyclopedic knowledge, too. Uh, Is that a word? You try. She (laughs) tries. This is kind of weird now. She's talking to Facebook Live. Um, But anyways, guys, I do want to switch gears just slightly. So in the first half of the show, we talked about Roy Moore versus Doug Jones and the role that the black vote played in the 2017 Senate special election in Alabama. Now we wanna talk about identity politics and what's going on with the white vote in Alabama and white votes across the U.S. when it comes to elections. So guys, we've had a couple of elections happen. Over the last couple of months. And one of the arguments that pundits were making when Trump was first elected was that white voters did not vote based off of racism. They voted because of economic anxiety. They voted because it wasn't a strong message. And they voted for Trump because they felt that Trump listened to him. Since then, the Democratic National Committee and a Democratic, um, Congress Committee have come together and put out studies to find out ways to talk to these quote-unquote working-class white voters and find ways to reach out to them. And we have seen special elections in Montana, in Georgia, in Alabama, and in a couple of other places. And what we have learned in every single one of those races is no matter how hard Democrats have tried to speak to these quote-unquote white working-class voters, these white disenfranchised voters, they still vote Republican. Republican heavily Republican. And when those Republican candidates tend to, to edge on the racist side, on the xenophobic side, they vote even harder. Now, earlier this week, Vox.com put out an article that talked about a report that pretty much confirms that the 2016 presidential election, the way that white people voted was based off racial anxiety and white people's concerns about losing their place in American society. That's what it was on. And it was one of the last reports that came out among a string of reports that had been coming out throughout the year. And, you know, with that being said, a lot of black Democrats were just asking the question of like, well, hey, since we know this, can we stop playing games and figure out what we need to do? In order to get to black folks and with that happening and with the Doug Jones elections, we would like to take a moment to really dig into not just the identity politics, but just also what's happening across the country that is stopping people of color from being strong participants in the electoral process. So now just to begin, I want to ask a question to um, I guess I'll start with you, Alyssa, if, if it's OK with you and like just we we're about almost a year into Donald Trump's presidency we've had all these arguments about whether you know we're quote unquote white working class people are voting for Trump because of economic anxiety or because of race do you feel like you have a definitive answer now or are you still searching
3: I mean I don't like I it's a definitive answer Yeah I've always had a definitive answer Which I think I've always said that I think like 80% of it is race And 20% of it is actual economic anxiety That's always been my position In that it's never been one or the other I actually did read the Vox article I agree with it um, I actually You know I, I agree with it More than I think you probably expected me to um, But yeah I mean I still do think that predominantly I, 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 The one thing I will say has shifted is I used to think it was a little more 50-50 50% race 50% economic anxiety anxiety. Now seeing a lot more of the data that has come out because, you know, I believe in evidence-based things and science-based things, um, including social sciences. Had to throw those in there because apparently those words are banned. Um, But, you know, and so now after I've seen all the data that has come out, I do still believe that economics played a role. um, But I feel like that role is less than what I originally thought. um, And I do think race played a larger role than what I initially thought.
2: Selena, what about you?
1: Repeat the question, please.
2: So, now that we have all this evidence, how much of a role do you think that race um played in the election? Um like are you I'm sorry, pardon me phrase that. Do you think that race played a focal role in the election? Or do you st- are you still unsure of whether it was like race or like you know economic anxiety and in, messaging?
1: In and Doug Jones' election. No, the
2: presidential election. Oh. Well.
1: <laughs> um it was absolutely race. Can I put a percentage point on it? If you'd like to, sure. Not accurately, I would say probably 90%, 90%, 95%. Um, And I say that because... Well, you know what? Even the black people that voted for Donald Trump, I think that they have some internalized racial problems. So, look, I think race played a big part in it. And the reason why is because Donald Trump campaigned on white identity politics. He tapped into that anger, which, in my opinion, and studies also have shown, is being driven by anxiety that Alyssa talked about. But it's also anxiety of what they call the browning of America. They see Brown people, immigrants, and people of color um, and diversity as a threat to their supremacy. And in turn, they're fighting back. Why are they fighting back? Because they fear. And what is it that they fear? Equality. Why? Because they know that if black people and people of color get an equal playing field, they're going to take a hit. And that's what it is. They're probably going to say it's going to take a hit in their politics in their education and in their power. But,
3: you know, I just wanted to add something in terms of the role that race played in the election from a different perspective. You know, the question that you were asking is really along the lines of what role did race play when it came to white people going out and voting for Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. I'm going to flip that a second. What role did race play when it came to voter suppression? Because you look at a state like Wisconsin, right? A recent study came out of Wisconsin showed that over 200,000 uh, black or Hispanic or pe- uh, voters of color did not go out and vote period over concerns that they were going to be turned away because of the ID issue they, f- they did not have a way to obtain an ID uh, because they didn't have a car they couldn't get to a DMV even though the ID is technically free because otherwise it would be a poll tax um, but because they weren't able to obtain an ID or they had moved and they only had their old ID from their last address or they were just afraid that when they got there with their real legitimate ID they were going To be accused of, uh, you know, engaging in some type of voter fraud, just simply the way that black people are constantly accused of committing crimes that they haven't committed. Um, So, two hundred thousand people of color um, did not go out and vote in Wisconsin because of the voter ID law, and Hillary Clinton lost in Wisconsin by seventy thousand votes. So you want to really talk about the role that race played in the election. Yes, there's the role that race played in terms of white people going out and voting for Donald Trump over concerns about, you know, the fact that they were losing their spot in America or something like that, which, by the way, equality isn't like a pie where like if black people get more, like white people get less, Uh, you know, like that's just not how the equality pie works. Um, There's actually a really great skit about white privilege that I saw done with kids like running a race and they had to take a few. Steps forward if they met certain qualifications before they started the race. Mm -hmm. Um, You you should go look for that video. But yeah, but you know the fact is like. Race played a role in this election in a different way um, in that there was plenty of places where people of color didn't vote or were scared of voting because they didn't want to be accused of voting illegally even though they were voting legally or just couldn't get the proper identification to be able to vote and so they didn't and that played a big deal in terms of Democrats losing the election If
2: you have a question or a comment you can give us a call at 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903 if you're on Facebook live leave us a comment we will read it when we get a chance or on- Twitter hit us up at be heard underscore radio Alyssa so one yes two thank you because you kind of jumped up a little bit forward to what I wanted to get to which is what have politicians done to disenfranchise black voters the voter suppression that you're talking about has been done mostly by people in a Republican party but in North Carolina a state where they have aggressively implemented voter ID laws when they were arguing their case against that state Supreme Court they said that they were not trying to disenfranchise black voters they were just trying to stop Democrats. What is worse, that, or just trying to stop a party? And also, why is it why is it seen that it always just happens to be black people and young people and people of color who are disenfranchised in these processes?
3: I mean, like when they say they want to stop Democrats, the Democratic Party is made up of a diverse coalition of people that the Republican Party just is not. If you look at the demographics of the Democratic Party, um, it's pretty di- a di- pretty diverse party. Uh, if you look at the demographics of the Republican Party, it is predominantly a party that is made up of white people these days. Right. Sure. You have your Ben Carson's and your Ted Cruz's and your Marco Rubio's and, you know, your you know, your your token people of color that within the party. Um, But at the on the whole, the predominance of the party is not a diverse party, which is actually not how it used to be. Republicans used to consider themselves the Big Ten. So when Republicans are saying we're trying to stop Democrats for voting, that is the dog whistle. As far as I'm concerned, what they are really saying is we are stopping Black people from voting and white liberals that support black people from voting.
2: So, Selena, none of what Alyssa just said is a surprise to us because we understand Republicans don't enjoy black people doing many things that involve freedom. But the question I have for you is because Republicans think that black people will vote Democrat. And I know because we have friends who see this don't necessarily feel represented by the Democratic Party either. So, like, they don't vote at all. So if Republicans are fighting this hard to stop black people from voting and then our friends are not voting because they don't feel heard, where is this disconnect coming from? What's happening?
1: You know, Stanley, that is an excellent point, because like you just said, Republicans want to stop Democrats. But Democrats haven't done a good job at courting black voters, especially uh, millennials of color. So, like, there there definitely is this disconnect. And I, I just I think that Republicans are just so out of touch that they wouldn't even begin to understand like how and why young people of color vote, what would drive them to the polls. But I think that what Democrats need to do is they need to use this as a leverage of opportunity. Republicans are, they're not, they're not trying to find out what makes us gets, drives us to the poll and what mobilizes us. That's the democratic party's job. And if they want to save their party, now is the time for them to continue to start to court their vote and not to Continue to focus on the white working class like in July of 2016, Chuck Schumer was like, that's what we need to do. We need to get white working class voters back on board. But I think that recent elections, even the one a few weeks ago, have proven that we're all about diversity and inclusiveness. And we also need to remember that millennials are the most diverse generation that this country has ever seen. So when you're talking about diversity, you're talking about us, our friends, our spouses. Like it's it's just it's a part of our identity, and they need to really grasp that.
2: That's a really good point, Selena. Guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, Selena, I want you to talk to me about some of these our folks that we talk about that don't vote. Why don't the why don't they feel like the Democrat the Democratic Party represents them? Or what do they feel like they need to see from Democratic Party or any elected official to be active With that being said guys we're going on a quick break and when we come back Selena will answer that question Tell them if they wanted they can come
1: and get that. I swear I love my city I just want less.
2: We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill and, of course, the immaculate Esquire, Alyssa Fuchs. And we are talking about the state of political identity politics. And the question I asked Selena was this. Republicans have gone out of their way to disenfranchise black voters because they think black voters will vote Democrats. Selena and I have friends, very similar, who believe that Democrats don't stand for them, don't work on the issues and don't care about them, so they don't vote. Why?
1: because you said it they just feel like first of all they're disillusioned by the whole political system as is and understandably so like politics is a game and in order to get in the game you got to get your hands dirty that goes for barack obama obviously hillary clinton and a number other of our leading progressive voices so i feel like just understanding the way politics works has definitely discouraged them from supporting like a system it's not so much the democratic party they don't support the system itself. And I think that we saw this uprising during the Occupied Wall Street days. Even though there wasn't a set agenda, like that common like that common denominator was like the whole system needs to be taken down and started all over. I wasn't as radical like I supported Occupy Wall Street, obviously, but I was somebody who says we need to change the party from the inside out, because I strongly believe that if we don't get involved in run candidates on the Democratic ticket, then it's not going to change. And I know that there's a lot of people who support the third party solution. I don't think that's tangible, at least not in our lifetime. So I think that we need to do the thing that will produce the results that we want to see.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, I just wanted to cut in on that in terms of the, the first part, like about not trusting the system. I mean, it's no surprise that people of color don't trust the system. Why should they? You know, this country has never given them any reason to trust the system. The, You know, like a country that has subjugated people of color for, you know, hundreds of years. And then finally, gave, you know, when people like we had a Supreme Court decision that said black people were three fifths of a person that was within the system. So, you know, I get why there's a distrust to the system. But and I agree with what you said about, um, you know, working within the party. I, I totally agree with that. But I will say, I also think it comes back to sort of what I was talking about when we were talking during the news roundup about not checking all the boxes. Um, you know, like at the end of the day, you are never going to find anybody that agrees with you politically 100 percent, except yourself and so to me it's not about necessarily the lesser of two evils although sometimes it is it's really about who is the person who is close more closely aligned to me than any other person running who is the person who is potentially going to help me and help my community more than anybody else is running even if they do not check every single box that i would like them to check who is Um,
2: not the child molester?
1: but no but listen i just want to ask you this and, and push back a little bit so does it depend on the box because like Like Jackie has said before, she's not going to support a progressive candidate that does not believe in reproductive rights for women. Would you support a candidate who did not believe in um, police, like stopping police brutality or or giving LGBT people the rights of marriage?
3: No, I wouldn't. And that's because there, like I said, there are certain you you have to like certain boxes. It's different for each person. Right. You have to be able to look at your boxes and say, which ones are non-negotiables for me? And if somebody doesn't meet that non-negotiable for you, then like I get it, you well, know. That's what
1: the Bernie Sanders people said. They say Hillary doesn't get all my boxes, right? But yeah, exactly, all
3: like they were like to me. I, it's a hard situation, yes. But the thing is, for Hillary, it was like she checked almost every single box, but not. I mean you're talking about big ticket issues. The people that things that they weren't supporting Hillary on like is in terms of like they said she was a warmonger, right? That might be true. They were anti-war. You know, that's one of those issues like, I don't know, like reproductive rights to me is a box that may be non-negotiable. Maybe anti-war is something that's non-negotiable for something else, but like it's hard because it's not as black and white, right? It, it is a so gray area. So you
1: understand the people that say I'm not voting for a candidate that doesn't check my boxes.
2: Well, but- I think Hillary's a bad example because the anger towards Hillary, I, in my my opinion was rooted more in sexism and 30 years of Republican propaganda than it actually was on the right. issue. I and mean, the
1: point yeah, that, that I'm that. making is about
2: these boxes. Yeah, you make a good point about these boxes. Speaking of those boxes, I want to get to a comment from Delicia Pride, which I think kind of talks about these boxes in a way so delicia says people of color in a democratic party must become party leaders join the leadership young people must be taught the importance of civil activism and i'm assuming that her idea and delicia tell me if i'm wrong is that if you enter the leadership you can change the conversations and the standards from the inside but if you stay on the outside the same voices that don't necessarily understand what you want or need will be in there running the show what do you guys think about that
3: Right. No, I mean I agree with that. I've always said that. I had that. I made that point the other day when I said, if you don't like the Democratic Party because you don't think it's progressive enough and you have good ideas, then run for office. Well, I have and a question Jackie for you, sort listen. of pushed back and said, you know, it's hard because you need money, you need support, whatever. And then you sort of pushed back on that, Stanley, and said, yeah, but there's organizations out there right now, like run for something, like Emily List, Emily's List, that are supporting these people, and so that there are ways to run for office.
2: Uh, yeah, I, w- I want to jump in on that because one of the things that we've noticed when it comes to people of color running for office or wanting to get into politics in general, you have, like, the the level of high-level like, high black staffers in D.C. on the Democratic side is about 2%. Black people running for office, it's hard to get money in infrastructure and even for black turnout, when they have to pay for p- people to go do turnout, they don't pay black organizations to do black turnout in black communities. They find white consultants. Why is it that the Democratic Party seems to have an up-and-down record of dealing with black voters in an appropriate way?
1: I mean... I- that's a hard one i know i know well to me racism exists in many different forms sometimes it's implicit bias it can be institutional it can even be subconscious and i think that we should never negate that white progressive people can still have racist tendencies like some i have good friends who are white And I don't know where they stand politically, whether they're moderate or whether they're progressive. But they've said some things that was racist. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I I really boiled it down, boiled it down to like it's ignorance. Right. With the Democratic Party, per se, I think that we need more black seats at that table to help them make decisions and court their black vote in an appropriate way and amplify black voices? I
3: think it's because that certain Democrats believe that by taking that law, that stance and trying to go aggressively try and court black voters in the way they should, because obviously you can see in Alabama the numbers, uh, that they're afraid of alienating white people that also support them, progressive white people. And, you know, that progressive white people, um, to a certain extent, may not, Turn out in the way that black people may Turn out for Democrats in fact a lot of the Progressive white people because of their Privilege voted for Jill Stein or Stayed home because the issues didn't Affect them and like you know we were t- Going back to the boxes and they just felt like Somebody didn't meet all their boxes so it was Absolutely non-negotiable they were staying home And so I think there's a certain amount of um, You know sort of apprehensiveness From the white liberal Politician um, that is Not necessarily willing to go Full throttle after the black vote in in a way that they think might end up alienating some of their white voters um, that they feel like they still need to win. And you can see sort of seeing this playing out in Alabama in some ways in that, you know, yes, there was large, large black turnout. And yes, absolutely, 98% of black women in Alabama voted for Doug Jones and something like 80-something percent of black men voted for Doug Jones. Um, and But then the question becomes this. If every single white person in the entire state stayed home, or voted for Rye Moore, could Doug Jones have won with just the black vote, solely the black vote? And the answer to that question is no. He still needed a little, little, little tiny piece of that white vote 27%. in order to twenty-seven percent to make that coalition. And I think that that's really sort of the position that some of these people may be coming from, which is, you know, what I I want all the black vote I can get, but at the same time, I don't want to alienate that twenty-seven percent of white vote that I need, I
2: otherwise g- I won't win. I got to push back on you because we are running out of time. Um, and I'm I just a statement, not a question. I think you're looking at it the wrong way. I think what they do is they prioritize the white vote, even though they know black votes come out and they uh, they don't appreciate the black vote and they don't put effort into it. And then when they lose, that's when you start hearing people shouting out that black people didn't turn out. And I I want to be very clear about that because that's a big problem I have with the Democratic Party. But the question I want to ask, and I'll start with Selena because I know she did have something to say. So kind of try to wrap your comment up into this is, should we stop Democrats? Should we stop chasing after this mythical, quote unquote, working class white voter?
1: Um... It's, I think that we need to be more inclusive. That's what I, I think that we need to put more right. effort and resources towards black people. And I wouldn't say that we need to rule out any loyalists to the party. But I think that we need to understand that the demographics of America are drastically shifting and changing and that we need to get on board. Like, honestly, I honestly think that even though Bernie Sanders still had some flaws, he still did a really good job in. Towards the end of the campaign, getting millennials out, mobilizing them, and even people of color, and making us feel like we had a seat at the table, and I don't think that he alienated white voters, all right? I, I and I honestly think that he would have and should have been president. So I think that we need to do that. But I the the first the initial comment I want to make, Ann Coulter, before um. Donald Trump ran for president what she said to Mitt Romney and the Republican Party. She said instead of extending that hand to get more Latinos and more people of color to the Republican Party, we should aggressively go after more whites. We should focus on the whites. That's what they did, and that's how they won.
3: Right. I mean, listen, I, 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 well, in terms of Bernie Sanders, I mean, maybe at the end it was better, but in the beginning, Bernie Sanders' outreach to black people was bad. I mean, yeah, that's why, why he lost the primary. because He gave up he, the South completely. He gave up the South completely, and he gave up all the black voters in the South, and you know what? He might have actually won the primary if mm-hmm. he would have run aggressively on a racial justice and criminal justice um, type program along with his economic program. I mean, even Bernie is problematic in saying that we have to continue to try and court the white working class vote, um, yeah. you know. But just to go back to the original question, which is, in ter- what do I think the Democratic Party should be doing? I sort of touched on that more last year. I do think that the Democratic Party should aggressively court the black vote and also should aggressively put push back on voter suppression methods such as, you know, voter ID laws or... You know, in terms of get help black people get IDs, then you know, and help drive them to the polls and stuff like that. Um, and Also, you know, put like work on uh, gerrymandering issues, um, which I know Barack Obama and Eric Holder are are doing a big deal because those things matter in terms of racial politics, too. Um, Do I think they should abandon courting the white, the white working class voter? Not necessarily, but I don't think that they should dump the kind of resources in it that they should dump into courting um, progressive black voters or even moderate black voters that are on the fence. Um, Do I think that they should put money into courting uh, young white Millennial voters? Yes, I do. And there is sort of a lot of times when you think white working class, you sort of think of your like middle age type. And yes, there are young millennials that are white working class as well. Um, But I think that, you know, there still should be efforts put into courting those voters. Do I think that Democrats should put money into trying to court Trump voters back? I don't know. Maybe not. I think Democrats should just offer what they think is it, it, what they're tell the people what they're going to do. Stop trying to just say we're going to fight against this and tell the people what you are going to actually do. Because if you look at Doug Jones and you just look at Judge Jones and. Um, turnout amongst white voters Trump's biggest supporters were down 45 percent from last year in the election Um, and actually uh, when you look even further and deeper into that you know yes we we talked about the high turnout in black communities absolutely um, but in the counties that were at least 75 percent white where at least 20 percent of uh, residents had college degrees you had much higher turnout for Doug Jones amongst um, young white women uh, that may have voted for Trump. So, you know, there are uh, and I think that was because they were concerned with Roy Moore. And they also, though, were listening to Doug Jones tell them what they were going to do for them. So instead of just necessarily focusing on the demographics, focus on telling people what you're going to do for them. And then you may end up peeling off some of those educated white voters that voted for Trump without necessarily having to put the resources into trying to peel them off.
2: All right. So, guys, we're going to close this conversation out now, but I do want to end it off with this and kind of give my own answer. I think that the Democratic Party and most politicians have had this fight of where they've been censoring white people and white identity and white feelings for a long time. And that is no longer going to work. Do I think we should completely abandon going at the white voters? Absolutely not. But I do think that it needs to be deprioritized and that we need to be uplifting these other groups who have numbers, rights and a say. I think so, you know, we can keep on wasting our time and energy on this mythical benevolent white working class person who voted for a racist, but now all of a sudden is going to side with people of color and transgender people and the LGBTQ, or we can focus on what we know is the right thing to do. And I kind of like to close it off with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is a perfect example of the flaws of the Democratic Party. Someone with a lot of great ideas, but who could not make the final connection to see how racial justice and the issues of people of color connected with the bigger fight of economic injustice. And if he would have done that, and if he wouldn't have gave up on black communities, if he wouldn't have pulled out money from the HBCU outreach, if he wouldn't have pulled out money from on-the-ground organizing in the South, like Democrats tend to do in these Southern races or in races at large, if he would have prioritized it the way Democrats should have and stopped chasing after the KKK member who once watched an Obama speech and didn't type the N-word, then maybe we might be in a different place. But he did not. The Democratic Party has a chance to do better next time around. So let's hope they do that. Um, listen, did you have a, a final comment?
3: No. I was telling you, look at the camera and tell the people.
2: Oh, <laughs> So listen, I'm really bad at this, guys. I'm sorry. But with that being said, guys, if you missed everything I said because you're looking at the back of my head on Facebook Live, just listen to the podcast. We'll be right back, guys, after this quick break. <laughs>
3: And we are back uh, My name is Alyssa Fuchs I am your legal correspondent I'm here to give you a brief refresher About net neutrality uh, And then we'll open up the conversation To all of you out there Watching on Facebook Live Or listening on WHCR uh, You can always give us a call 212-650-6903 We're going to do this Slightly different today Than we normally do it um, Because a couple weeks back I actually gave you a quickie About net neutrality And broke down in detail What it was And what you should be concerned about um, And since then On December 14th The FCC cc voted and they voted to repeal the current rules on net neutrality it was a party line vote Um, and so now we are going to potentially end up in a situation where the telecom companies may end up blocking censoring throttling throttling or discriminating against your content in the effort to make you spend more money in order to access the websites and social media and stuff that you want to access so just briefly for a refresher net neutrality is the concept Where service providers are barred from blocking, censoring, discriminating, throttling um, any content That means that all companies have an equal chance to bring their content to the homes of every single user of the internet And not a single company is favored over any other company Uh, These current rules were made by the FCC um, under the Obama administration They classified internet as a utility under Title II um, And they said that all internet service providers or ISPs, which are what is known as common carriers uh, Would all be treated equally Um, And would be subject to government intervention So that the masses, which is us Would have fair and equal access to the internet As a utility at a fair rate Um, But now, since the repeal of these uh, net neutrality rules uh, the, by the Trump administration There is a possibility and we don't know to the What extent this is going to actually happen Yet uh, because it's still a little soon And because there's still some lawsuits which I'm going to Talk about just briefly in a second um, There is a possibility that now These different telecom companies like Verizon for example are going to create Internet fastly uh, fast lanes um, And basically are going to Say you know if you want to access social media That's an extra five ninety nine a month if you want to Access YouTube or video or ve- um, Stuff like that that's an extra five ninety nine. A month and essentially instead of you paying one Price for your internet bill say $59.99 uh, it will be fifty nine ninety nine just to connect To the internet but then to access specific Websites that you want to access um, If you want to access them fast and not wait For them very slowly loading you're going to have to Pay extra money um, and so that is Essentially what we were fighting against uh, um, Now just to give you a brief Update about what's going on in terms of that Since the rules were announced uh, Eric Schneiderman who's the attorney general Here for the state of New York has filed the lawsuit against the trump administration for the rollback of the net neutrality rules that lawsuit has been joined by something like 14 or 15 other states including states that you probably wouldn't expect like kentucky um, and so right now uh while this lawsuit or many lawsuits go forward there's a good possibility that the actions of the trump administration may be stayed by the courts meaning that the rollback will not go into effect right away but there's an equal possibility that they will not Um, ultimately it's going to be the courts that i think are going to end up deciding this issue i don't know which way they're going to come down until then we're all going to wait and see but you know you know, I wanted to open up to you guys because the way I looked at it is this could affect us. As let you let your voice be heard radio this will affect us. Um, and will affect us. You know, anybody right now can go on and watch us on Facebook Live. We thank those of you who are watching right now um, and, you know, can find us through Twitter. And, you know, we have equal access to all of you on the Internet. Um, but, you know, if net neutrality rollback rules go into effect, there's a possibility to it make, make it very difficult for you to find us and to listen to us and for us to reach you. And so this is a very important issue to us. And I'm going to open it up to uh, to you guys. Stanley, what are your feelings about?
2: So I'm really frustrated about this decision, but I knew it was coming. It's just one of those cases of every time someone said I had to make this about 2016 election, but every time someone said that there was no difference between Hillary (laughs) and Trump, this these are one of the things I was thinking about, because (laughs) it doesn't just take away like make it harder for people to listen to us. It also creates a potential for certain websites to be blocked. If you are starting a small business on your own that is driven by the Internet, now the ISP server can say, pay us extra money or we will block your website. If there is someone putting up valid criticism about an elected official that is doing something very bad, they can just tell the ISP server to not show this website. The Internet is unlimited access to information. And now that information has a caveat to it. This has major implications, especially for people in low income communities.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think that people in low-income communities and people of color are going to be hurt the the most by this. Uh, And the thing that, I guess, frustrates or baffles me the most is how Republicans and, like, their constituents have gotten away with it. I mean, if you think about, like... The white working class and Trump's base, they're going to be we're all going to be equally hurt by this. Like even the millionaires, like people who are just like money conscious and don't want to spend extra money to go on Twitter or Snapchat. Like we all hurt and suffer. The only people that really benefit are the big corporations. So, I mean, it's either Republicans or brilliant when it comes to marketing bad ideas and getting people on board or the republicans are just so deeply enriched in ideological um ideas that they that they vote against their own they're voting against their own interests. they're voting
3: against their constituents interests they're not necessarily voting against their own interests in that you know all of this links back to citizens united because at the end of the day, Verizon lines the pockets of these people. I mean, you know, the guy who's Agit Pai, the, who's the head of the FCC right now, um, was a lawyer for Verizon before he became the head of the FCC. Um, and so, you know, if you don't think that these big companies like Verizon um, and like other Internet service providers do not put money in the pockets of Republicans who say that they're going to roll back these regulations that make it harder and more expensive for companies to operate but better and more open internet access for us as the general public Uh, you're wrong they do they line their pockets Republicans don't care about their constituents and their constituents access to the internet they care about the people that give them the money to continue to get reelected so it's no surprise that they would you know do these things that hurt their own constituents and benefit
1: the people that benefit them
3: No, my
2: point is
1: how do they get the people on board
2: because they're lying to them and they control the media and when you talk about this hurting like the Republican Party, it will not hurt them because the people in power who control these internet service providers tend to be linked conservative. So their point of view will get out. But like, no, seriously. But a lot of progressive conversations, a lot of the things that they don't want people seeing will be blocked, will be hurt. And yeah, it lines their pockets. They don't care about their constituencies. This this is not about politics or ideology. This is very simply about the rich getting richer. No, no, I'm talking about poorer. no,
1: I'm talking about like the people. They like, literally like, no, like I'll the people, the people who are like, it, like the market has to be free, and it's like the people who really think that like. Or or consider themselves to be conservative and like are on board with this, even though they're going to be paying more money.
2: Misinformation and just staunch ideology, which is stupid because people think and this is one of the smartest arguments I've heard by Robert Reich. I think it is a reach. But he said that, like, people always say that, you know, we can't put limits on a market. You can't put regulations on a market. And he says that's a that's false because the market was created with laws from the government like that. That's what that's how you create the market the government created a market in the first place and created it's right in
3: the Constitution in the in the first part you know the articles not the amendments there's a Commerce Clause right there's a taxation clause the Commerce Clause gave Congress the ability to regulate anything that has to do with interstate commerce this is literally written into the Constitution because the foundations of our government is to create a government and a market and you know yes our government was based on free market capitalism principles but even the founding fathers knew that there There was had to be limits on capitalism that you could not just have a free market capitalism with absolutely no regulations whatsoever. That's why they gave Congress the power to regulate the market right in the Constitution. So, you know, that's it is absolutely an ideological thing. But some of it, as Stanley also points out, is just straight ignorance. You have people that are literally convinced right now that this is good for them because that's what Fox News told them to believe.
1: Horrible. Well, on that note, guys, sorry to end on such a downer, but um, speaking of support, we always appreciate your support here on let your voice be heard Uh, you can support us on Patreon Um, every dollar counts and it will keep us in production Uh, on all that note we wanted to also thank everyone who tuned in and chimed into the conversation here we always appreciate you guys and if you want to listen to the show again or share it with your friends remember to subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts whether that be Apple's Google Stitcher iHeartRadio you can find us there also on SoundCloud we also have a website www w.lyvbh.com that's the acronym for let your voice be heard on that note guys continue to enjoy your sunday i know it's hard i know it will be hard in these type of political conditions but never stop informing and fighting that's how we win this battle here happy sunday we'll see you again